0: Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. We left off last uh, last week in verse 10 in Exodus, where Moses was drawn from the river by Pharaoh's daughter. He's cared for by his mother, raised in Pharaoh's family, and given his name Moses, for he was drawn out of the river. In Exodus, this morning we'll look at the next step forward, and is yet another time in which God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And by remembering the covenant, God will take decisive action for his people. Because his people are still in trouble. They are still enslaved to Egypt. And as slaves, there's an issue with inheriting the promised land. Because as slaves, you don't inherit anything. And so God continues to work through Moses, through his people, through their situation. Because God is always at work around us. I want to read to you from Acts chapter 7. This is from the the sermon that Stephen gives to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. All right? Now, this is New Testament, but he's talking about this moment in Moses' life. And in Stephen's sermon, it's a whole nother sermon, but he's, he's going back, all the way back, telling the Jewish leadership of their history, how, showing how God was an act, in an action, taking action, leading to the point of when Jesus would come, die, and be raised again. And so he captures this moment in Moses' life rather well, and I I think it it helps us understand what's happening back in Exodus is why. I wanna read it to you, then we'll go back to Exodus chapter two. Here's what Stephen said in his sermon. Acts chapter seven, verse 22. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. That's pretty much where we left off last week, okay? Okay. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, "'Men, you are brothers.'" Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Let's pray together. Father, we are... Outlaws and fugitives from justice, just like Moses, for we have all sinned and missed the mark of your glory. Yet, Lord, in your divine mercy and your grace, we come to your word given to us that we may hear the word and believe, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Father, as I often pray, what we do not know teach us, what we do not have but need provide for us, and what we are not yet make us for your glory and our good, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Moses is all grown up. He is grown up back in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. So at this point, Moses is faced with a choice. His choice is this. He'll either be an Egyptian, as he was raised, or he'll be a Hebrew, a foreigner in a foreign land. And I I, I really appreciate Stephen's account of this because it gives us a little bit different account, not not contradictory account, but just a little bit different view into his heart, into Moses' heart. And he said there in Acts chapter seven, he says, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. What, did he just conjure up some sad feelings for his brothers and sisters that were enslaved? I believe it came into his heart because God put it there. God is always at work In the circumstances that we're in, in the situations we face, God is always at work. So Moses knew. He knew he was a Hebrew. He knew he was different than the rest of the people in the court where he was raised, in the court of Pharaoh, in the house of Pharaoh. And if you look in verse 11, it says, he went out to his own people. He's understanding. He's got it. This is the direction he's going to have to go. He's going to be the one to rescue the Israelites. But it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. But it does signify that this is the beginning steps God would take to get the people out of Egypt. Again, if you look at verse 11, it says, he went out. That phrase, went out, God is gonna be moving people out of Egypt throughout the rest of the Exodus. It's the beginning process of God doing that. But it wasn't time yet, because Moses had some growing to do. Moses had some some things he had to work out. Mostly, when we understand from Scripture, when you look at leadership in Scripture, there are several camps of wisdom, but clearly God's Word outlines that leadership in Scripture is like shepherding. Leadership is like a servant. In fact, Jesus would tell his own disciples that they would not lord their authority over the people that would follow like the Gentiles lorded over their people, which is with the heavy-handed fist. All right? The rod, the heavy hand, or the rod of correction, if you will. All right? Or much like a Pharaoh might do. But rather, Jesus said, you will be a servant. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you're going to have to be the least. You're going to have to serve. Then he says, the Son of Man, pointing, talking about himself, he says, the Son of Man did not come to ser- be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. And that's what leadership in scripture, that's what God calls those who lead, that's what he calls us to. He calls us to be a shepherd. He calls us to lead like a servant. Moses was already in a place to lead like an Egyptian pharaoh. That's his education, that's his upbringing. 40 years in the house of pharaoh, it's gonna rub off on you. It's gonna take effect. He hadn't known anything else up to this point. Moses had to grow up in a different way. He was ready to lead but not ready to be led which is key for leading in a godly way. So here's how we know he wasn't ready. He goes out to his people. And he observes the Hebrew slave that is being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster. That's the heavy hand. That's how the Gentiles Jesus said lorded their authority over their people. The Egyptians were no different. He kills the Egyptian taskmaster and he hands uh, and, and he buries him in the sand. That's verse 12. Friends, he's overcome by his emotions in this moment. Verse 11, he says, it says he looked on their burden. That's not just a description of him physically looking out and seeing his people enslaved, building pyramids and all the other fancy things that the Pharaoh wanted. But it suggests there an emotional investment and an emotional response by Moses. He saw his brother getting beaten. And it touched his heart in a way that led him to react. He wanted justice for the injustice he saw. But it wasn't his to give, and it wasn't his life to take. He took matters into his own hands. He was impetuous at this moment. Vengeance did not belong to him. He was not ready. Why do we say that? Because he did what an Egyptian would do. That's how Pharaoh would react. That's how Pharaoh will react when he finds out what Moses has done. And so the next day he goes out, thinking that he has avenged his people, thinking that he is ready to take the lead. He goes out the next day and he sees two of his own brothers fighting, two Hebrews, thinking that he had come into this position at this time for for such a time as this. Now is the time where he's going to take the reins and lead his people. Right, Thinking he had had gained some street cred with with that slaying of the Egyptian taskmaster. He asked this, why are you beating each other? Why are you striking your neighbor? What are you doing? And notice their response. He pushes the one who's doing the beating, pushes the the one that's getting beaten his side. And he says, hey, who made you our boss? You're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian. See, Moses looked around before he did that. Who's watching? All right, we're safe they were watching. Word spread quickly. You see, for Moses, he had to unlearn the way of the world. He had to learn the way of the Lord. He had to unlearn the way that he had been brought up and learn the way of the Lord. And so Moses, presuming that the Hebrews would just accept him, is actually rejected. Acts chapter seven, verse 25 says, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Sound familiar? Sounds like that's exactly what Jesus experienced when he came. They didn't understand what he was doing. They didn't understand who he was. They rejected him. But it's a great question from this Hebrew back to Moses. No one had made Moses boss yet. He is working at that point as the self-appointed leader of Israel, their self-appointed savior. No one had made him boss. And verse 15, Pharaoh finds out and he wants to kill Moses, but Moses is able to escape. That appointed deliverer, instead of acting like God's man, was acting like an Egyptian taskmaster. Friends, God was not going to deliver the Israelites by the means of the Egyptians, He wasn't going to deliver them by the power of man. Moses had to unlearn that truth, and he had to learn a new truth. He had to learn to trust in the presence of God. He had to learn to trust for God's leadership in his life. And those two things working together is what Moses will learn when he gets to Midian. It's what Moses is going to learn when he runs away for 40 years in exile. It's what he's going to learn in Exodus 3 and 4 when God speaks to him out of that bush that is not being consumed by the fire. Friends, and it's what God does in our life. As God shapes us when we come to Christ, he shapes us to look more like Christ and less like the world. The more we look like Jesus, the less we're going to look like the world, even though we are still here in this world. We cannot do God's will according to the ways of the world. It will not work. We can bring in the schemes of man and try to apply them to church, but when we're following Jesus, God has his way outlined in scripture. And to follow Jesus and be his disciples means we are going to do things his way. So Moses was not gonna deliver his people through revolution, through military might with swords and pitchforks or whatever else they had or any kind of founding documents, God is going to deliver them through his divine power and Moses will be his spokesman. Moses will be the one. Moses and Aaron will go together and do that. You will not be delivered from your captivity to sin on your own merit, on your own goodness your own self-actualization or self-help or whatever steps you want to follow. Nor, Christian, will you grow into Christ's likeness and godliness without the divine power of God at work in your life. It will not happen. And if you go back to what Paul says in Philippians chapter three, he presses this point uh, to, uh, to the Philippian church. He presses this point. Let me get there and let me read it to you from Philippians chapter three. You can feel free to turn over there for a moment. We're just going to camp out for a second uh, in this place. But uh, Philippians chapter 3, he's talking about righteousness through faith in Christ and all the things that Paul had gained, all of the accomplishments he had gained in his own power were as nothing compared to knowing Christ. And then he says this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's striving forward. That it's not self-determination. It's not willpower. It's God's divine power at work within Paul saying, listen, we are striving together. I'm not there yet. God's still working on me through Christ Jesus. He is still working on me. Therefore, I have to forget what my life is in the past and move forward to what he's making me into christ likeness and personal godliness. All of those things are constantly growing. And that is the divine power of God at work in our lives so after Moses grows up Moses fights and then Moses takes flight look at verse 15 back in Exodus chapter 2 Pharaoh hears of what happened and he seeks to kill Moses but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well now as he sat down by the well here comes well his future bride how did he know that was going to happen he didn't know The Midianites, who are they? Well, they're a nomadic people. They roam through a portion of the land that is promised to Abraham, also known as the promised land. They're a group of shepherds. They're nomadic. They're sheep herders. And so Jethro will be Moses' father-in-law eventually, but he's the priest of Midian that it's talking about. And Jethro sends his daughters out, seven daughters out, to go water the sheep. And in all of that process, there's a group of shepherds. Shepherds were a rough bunch back then. They probably still are to some extent. But there's a group of shepherds. They arrive on the scene and they begin harassing Jethro's daughters. Moses sees what's happening as he is sitting there at the well and they're tending their father's sheep. And this is where we begin to see some differences or some changes in Moses, okay? We get a a glimpse just a glimpse of what is required to lead God's people. Look at verse 16. The priest of Midian, that's Jethro or Jael, uh, also, uh, Raul, excuse me, is his name, had seven daughters. They came and drew water and filled the troughs to the water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Raul, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man and, uh, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. <clears throat> we begin to see Moses act as a righteous deliverer in that moment. He didn't kill them this time, right? There's an improvement over the last time, right? All right. Small steps, folks, small steps. But he not only rescues them. Here's where we see the real change. He doesn't just rescue them, but he takes the sheep and he waters them for the seven daughters. There's a glimpse there, an act of service that we begin to see a small change of what will happen over the next 40 years while Moses is in Midian with his family. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us some insight also into this moment. Hebrews chapter 11 is that chapter uh, of faith where it, leads, it goes through several Old Testament characters. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. And there's a section there for Moses. By faith, Moses. And in verse, chapter, in verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says that Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin also known as the lifestyle of Egypt. And so Moses has chosen to settle down by the invitation of his new father-in-law. Later we'll know him as Jethro, and he finds a wife. He marries, and he starts a family. And the book of Acts tells us that Moses spends 40 years in Midian, and that gets us to chapter 3. But here's the whole point of what's happening, and James Boyce said it right, and so I'm going to use his words. He said this, Moses was 40 years in Egypt learning something, 40 years in the desert learning to be nothing, and 40 years in the wilderness proving God to be everything. Moses was 40 years in Egypt learning something, 40 years in the desert learning to be nothing, and 40 years in the wilderness proving God to be everything. For every 2 years of preparation, Moses spent 1 year in ministry. That wilderness taught him a few truths of God, that he would come to depend and rely on God's presence. We will see that start, that lesson start in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4. He learned how to lead his family he learned how to shepherd. He understood how dumb sheep can be sometimes. He learned how to serve. He learned because it was his time of preparation that the Lord sent him to Midian. And please don't, please don't think God chose Moses because Moses was gifted and talented and Moses was perfect. We clearly see Moses was not a perfect man. But he was a man that would depend on God's power And he was a man that would depend on God's grace for victory. Friend, God is always at work. Henry Blackaby brought that out, it's the first time I heard it in his experience in God's study, that God is always at work around you and he invites you to join him in that work. For Moses, he was preparing Moses for the next step. God is doing the same thing as we follow Jesus. He is often preparing you for the next step as you learn to walk in obedience in this step. He may not move you forward, In your relationship and in your growth in Christ likeness until you're obedient with the last step. Some people always, people have asked, I just don't understand, know what God's will is for my life. What is his purpose? He doesn't, I haven't heard from him in so long. And I just sometimes want to say it's probably because you haven't done what he asked you to do last week. And until you do and walk in obedience to what he said last week, he's not going to move you on to next week until you finish that. Accomplish. Obey, obey, walk in faith. Then you will see what the next step is. So often we want the next step forward when in reality we're two steps behind. God is always at work. He's bringing us and growing us in Christ-likeness and godliness, preparing you for the next step. Be sensitive to that. Walk in obedience so that you continue to grow because we hear and see the promises of God. Let's remember the promises. Look what God does at the end of this story. Verse 23, during those days, the king of Egypt died. The Pharaoh that knew what Moses had done, he was dead. Now his stepbrother comes to power as the new Pharaoh. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. We don't want to make the mistake thinking that this story is all about Moses. But what we really need is God. God is very much active in this great epic, in this true story. Verse 24 there are four verbs I want you to underline of God's divine action. This helps us understand what God is doing. The four verbs first, God heard, the second, God remembered. The third, God saw or considered Israel. And then the last is that God knew or was concerned. God's divine action is present. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we are and should be drawn closer to the Lord. The louder we cry out for help, the closer we are growing and being drawn To him, he hears our prayers. He hears our cries. He looks. He remembers. He considers. And he acts. God hears their prayers as their groaning reaches a fever pitch. He hears their prayers. He hears their groaning. And he he remembers. And that raises the question, did God somehow forget? Did he forget his promise? Did he forget his covenant? No, no. That's not at all what it means. It means he remembered or decided to act. God finally decided to take action in order to fulfill the covenant that he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he is taking now that next step. As it says, God literally saw the people of Israel and he knew. He knew what? He knew of their suffering. He knew of his power. And he knew of his promise. We need to remember that in this part of the story, it, it's, not a, it's not a story of how God liberates an oppressed people so they can be free. It is the story of God fulfilling His promise, a promise that will ultimately bring salvation to every tribe, nation, tongue, and people, even the Egyptians. The Bible is the story of how God is bringing us back home, repairing that relationship redeeming that relationship of us who are lost I've often asked our deacons at the end of the service to say by saying something like okay this is this is Kevin he's going to pray us home today partly yes because we're about to go home but also because followers of Jesus we as followers of Christ we long for our home the place where Jesus is now and it is the divine orchestration of his grace mercy and love that that is where God is taking us look at what Moses names his son. <clears throat> He says, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. Moses is longing for something more. And God is about to take him on that journey. But for Moses in some of this time, and you'll see it next week as well, there are times where he has what Blackaby called a crisis of belief. And may also say that there are times where he has a crisis of identity. This is one of the greatest struggles we have as Christians today in an advanced society like the United States of America. Moses for 40 years was raised in the nation of nations at that time. They were advanced. They had technological advancements, they had societal advancements that many did not have. I mean just look, we can still see the building, the buildings that they put up thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, they still stand one of the oldest societies on earth, but Moses had to figure, he had to decide whom he was going to serve. He had to work through that truth, and that's what you're going to see in Exodus chapter three and four, but he's got to work through that truth of who he was, who would he serve, and the same is true for us when we come to Jesus. When we come to Jesus, we've got to decide whom are we going to serve? Moses being raised in the home of the most powerful man on the earth, but he was a Hebrew. Something just didn't set right, and he chose to go to his people over the glorious and glamorous lifestyle of the Egyptians, even though it meant suffering, even though it meant exile. But that was not the end of the story. The Israelites will have to make that same choice as you read through the rest of the Exodus. They'll they'll battle against that for all time. Why can't we just go back? Why can't we just go back? But their suffering is what is drawing them close to the Lord. Their, Their crying out reaches that fever pitch and they're clinging to God. And he hears their cries and he's going to take action now. It is also that slavery and that bondage that keeps them from fully integrating into Egyptian culture and life. In both situations, God was at work in Moses, God was at work in the Israelites in these hard and desperate times. Because in those hard moments, in these desperate times, we are drawn to him. And it is is to increase our longing for him that we draw close unto him. Whom will you serve? The next question in my mind is, where will you call home? Notice again, the, the name that Moses is first born, Gershom. Uh, I don't know that we name our kids that anymore, but it means it has a significant meaning. I have been a resident alien in a foreign land, or I've been a sojourner. Moses is away. It's not that he's away from home while he's in Midian. It's that while he's in Egypt, he is away from home in Midian, also known as promised land. He's enjoying peace. He's enjoying his family for 40 years. Moses sees Egypt as what it is, a foreign country. That place is not home. And in the church today, we have that same kind of identity crisis that where do we call home? Following Jesus trumps everything else for us and our home. Do we identify with Christ and where he's taking us? After conversion, the transition that works in our heart Paul said again in Philippians 3, he says that life, when we come to Christ, life becomes a foreign land, that we are now in Christ, pilgrims, heading for our home with Jesus Christ, of which he is preparing for us now. Where do we call home? Are we looking forward to what is ahead of us? Or are we looking behind, not wanting to leave? The fancies of Egypt or America. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 11 says By faith, Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking to Christ. He was looking for that promised snake crushing redeemer that was going to come by faith he left egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible the reason moses kept going the reason is because god is at work moses is looking forward to the reward he persevered as one who sees him who is invisible that is christ jesus himself we are in the same place we too have to continue on and persevere as one who is looking at the one who is invisible with the pleasures of Egypt, Egyptian royalty, he chose the ill treatment with God's people. Can you identify with Moses as a sojourner in a foreign land? Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, Paul said, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let me encourage you. That by knowing the end of the story, keeping your eyes looking forward to what is ahead of us, God's victory in the end and the recreation that is coming, that should embolden you and enable you to live and persevere in the here and now with eager expectation of what is to come. Knowing that God is always at work and that God is daily bringing closer to you the day of the Lord when Christ will return for his bride. It is gonna be a glorious day. And now what you see in Moses is that Moses is not clothed with Egyptian royalty. He is now clothed with humility. When we find him next week, he's wandering through the mountains and God will encounter him in that burning bush. Moses is now going to identify with the suffering of his people. Moses, we will see, we had to see this Moses of Egypt first and to see the process that that Moses of Egypt had to die in order for the Moses of Midian to come, about, come to life. And the Moses of Midian is going to precede the Moses that will lead God's people through the Red Sea. In the same way, Christ was born of humble circumstances, despised and rejected by his own. That Christ child had to proceed, that rejected Christ had to be, had to proceed. The resurrected Christ and the exalted Christ. The, the pattern is the same for us. The dead man or woman in their sin and trespasses, God makes alive together with Christ. The old Chris has to die to and be crucified. And that God, not, not Chris, but God brings that life into my heart with Christ by his grace and mercy, not because of who I am or what I've done. I'm a sinner. I'm no different than Moses. I've never killed anybody. But there's plenty other long laundry list of sins I've committed that cross me out. And And I'm a dead man in my sin and my trespasses. But God has intervened and brought grace and mercy and he does the same for for you and it's the same pattern. The old Chris had to be there but the old Chris has to die just like the old you has to die. We die to sin. We die to the way of this world and God brings life into us through Christ and someday, someday, I'm gonna see what is now invisible and God will complete his work in my life He will complete his work in your life, and you will be completed. The pattern is not any different for us. Friends, this is a story of redemption. It is a story of God bringing us back, redeeming that relationship, repairing that relationship, restoring that broken relationship from the garden, bringing us back to himself. And I wonder this morning, do you know his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love? Do you know that through Jesus Christ? Because the same God who decided to fulfill the covenant has acted, and he still draws people to himself through his son, Jesus. Moses was moved. So was Jesus. In Matthew chapter nine, he looked out on the crowd. And he was moved with compassion. And That compassion would lead him to the cross. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is that good shepherd that we needed. He chases that sin away, has overcome it. He is the king that has come to our rescue. He is the shepherd that came to our rescue when our lives were in danger. For God heard them, and he knew, and he acted. He hears you, he knows you, and he has acted for you. Call to him this morning for salvation. Call out to Him this morning with your concerns and with your burdens. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of the Lord Christ Jesus'